0: one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at TheJazzSession.com, and you'll also find links to subscribe in iTunes. That still exists, right? Yeah, I think so. And also using an RSS reader, and you can do all of those things for free. However, if you've come over all guilty feeling because you're one of the thousands and thousands of people who listens to the show but has not yet subscribed, there is something you can do that is not for free and that is to become a member it's super easy it's super cheap and if you are a subscriber to the Jazz sessions newsletter, then you know that uh, I've decided i'm I'm not just you know kind of Emptily threatening the idea of ending the show at show number 300 I'm really fine with it if it ends at number 300 It would be cool if it kept going, too And you are the only person who can determine that by becoming a member or not I need 60 more members, even, in the next uh, 19 shows, I guess So, you know, three point something members a show If you're better at math than I am, you can figure it out But in any case... Uh, Many of you need to start joining in a hurry in order for this thing to keep going Otherwise, the show will end on August 11th And the 300th show is already recorded Or at least the, the interview that will be the 300th show is already recorded As soon as I recorded it, I knew it would be show number 300 It's an interview with David S. Ware, Cooper Moore, Muhammad Ali, not that one, and William Parker Speaking of which, this has nothing to do with today's episode But when I tweeted that I was interviewing uh, David S. Ware, Cooper Moore, William Parker, and Muhammad Ali A friend of mine who I don't think is into jazz at all Responded, oh, that's really cool And I have to believe it was not because of his love for any of those four people But because he believed I was interviewing the other Muhammad Ali Which would be really cool But didn't happen But the one I did interview was quite nice too But anyway, uh, that's going to be show number 300, which will air on August 11th, and then either show number 301 will follow hard on its heels, fueled by the 100 members that the show now has, or show number 300 will be the the big slam-bang finale, and I'll go off to do something else. But anyway, uh, you can figure it out. Just go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member or not, Um, and you know the, the jazz session episodes that exist will stay up for all time. And let's hope that all of this is just talk about something that's not going to come to pass because so many of you are going to realize wow, I guess I, I better actually support the show, that the show will keep going. All right, enough of my browbeating. For years, I've known this guy, Ben Galena, who's a bass player, and he leads a band called Salo. And Ben and I have at various times tried to get together to make an interview happen, and, and mostly due to my own scheduling issues. It's never quite worked out until recently, after I moved to New York, which is where Ben also lives, it became much easier. And so we got together, we talked about Salo and a whole lot more, and we'll start off uh, this show here with a, a track from the album Sundial Lotus. My guest is composer and bassist Ben Galina. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about Salo.
0: And I have to give you some props here because, uh, as I was saying to you, when I came over, you had prepared vegan snacks. <laughs> And you are the first in what I hope will be now that I've said this out loud, a long line of musicians who prepare for me vegan food when I come over. So thank you very much for that. We're having some some very cool hummus and uh, some lovely tea. So i just like to say to all the musicians out there, this is now what I expect. So when I come over, I expect the Galena-style welcome for well. the vegan spread. Raising the bar. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, I think you've ruined me for interviews from, from here on out. So, uh, we're gonna, as you mentioned, uh talk about your band Salo. And the the record got a lot of critical acclaim and a lot of it was based uh as I guess is makes perfect sense on the writing. Um it, which is really, really smart and and fun at times and funny at other times. Uh so I just, I guess, I wanted to talk to you about the the process of composing for the album. Was it a long time in the works? Uh, talk a little bit about how it. Yeah,
1: came to it, be. it definitely was. Um, I sort of let these compositions develop over years, and um, my process with getting them to the stage that they were at when we recorded them. Um, it was a lot of trial and error and experimentation and revision and i'm like a chronic reviser, <laughs> so which you know has its pluses and minuses but um i knew at a certain point in my development as a composer and as a band leader that i wasn't going to be able to write new things unless i documented the things that i had written thus far and so um
0: why why is that
1: uh, I just felt like I was, like, clogged up with these tunes that, like, meant a lot to me. But, um, you know, I, I did, you, you almost get sick of uh, playing songs that you love if you're playing them every show. Sure. And so a couple of them had been in other bands that were almost exactly like Salo, but, you know, I had a group called Electric Medicine where we did, like, maybe... Three or four of the tunes on *Sundial Lotus*, and uh, I, yeah, I knew that if if I could get them down and set them and record them, that I would be able to enter a new phase of my composing, which I wanted to do. In getting them ready for recording, I, you know, I was so happy with the way that they turned out and some of the things that I was able to do with them uh, that uh, went beyond my expectations for. recording itself which i was kind of thinking okay you know i'll just set them down and then i can move on and the stuff that i'm going to move on to is the stuff i want to do but when i was listening back it's like wow i really hit it on the head this is you know without kind of realizing it, I, i during the process i i realized that like all those revisions had gotten the tunes to where i wanted them to be and i was able to say what i wanted to say um through them Yeah. Were those
0: revisions the, uh, based on experimentation on the bandstand?
1: Yeah, you know, it was it was uh, different ways to keep it fresh, and thinking, you know, at a certain rehearsal, talking about something verbally. Okay, this time when we do it, when we go to the section, it'll be let's just really get quiet here, or let's you know whatever it was, or feeling like a tune is a good tune, but it's a little stagnant, and so I'm sitting there thinking what what like magical thing could happen in a perfect world where that leads to a new area um, that would be exciting for us to play and exciting for me to hear even though I've heard the song for a couple years now you know and so some of those changes were like okay maybe the core of the tune was written in a few minutes like in the early 2000s but then the thing that made me fall in love with it again was like a choice that happened much later Mm. So, it's interesting
0: about uh, songs being fun for you to play. Do, <laughs> do you find that part of that revision process is I'd just like to challenge myself again with this piece?
1: Oh yeah, I, almost every every idea I have comes out of like a challenge, whether it's like trying to figure out a rhythmic idea that is interesting to me at the time, or a harmonic idea, or. Um, you know, getting together with a friend and playing something on a session and seeing, like, I think there's some potential here, you know? <laughs> so yeah. yeah.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, uh, when you were writing uh, at least some of this music or revising the music, you were revising it based on your experience with a working band. I mean, Salo was pretty constant membership yeah. and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, so I it, imagine that influenced that process.
1: Definitely, yeah. Uh, Electric Medicine, the predecessor, was a working band, and then Salo was a working band. And... um um, it grew when we first... Oh, you know, I was just thinking about this. Um, today is May 4th, and we had our first concert May 5th, 2008. So oh, okay. it's like basically three years ago exactly, so okay, that's cool. exciting. And um, when we first started, it was a quintet. Okay. And on the recording, it's a septet, so that's that's two more people. But the, the way that happened is, you know, occasionally we would need a sub... Like uh, Andrew Smiley, the guitarist, couldn't do a couple gigs in a row, so Red Wieringa came in to play piano. At which point he made himself indispensable, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then all of a sudden the parts, you know, there's like a different piano part and a different guitar part. So the the tunes were growing like that also, and same thing like Alex Hamlin came into the group probably last, you know, Josh who can play, everybody can play all the different reeds, but, you know, he, he would play alto sometimes or tenor sometimes.
0: You just mentioned that's Josh Retner.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I uh, asked Alex to fill in for him one time, and then he, too, made himself indispensable. And so then I was running for three horns instead of two horns. And so the tunes were growing in that regard. You know, a lot of times I was revising them just because... I had to come up with another part, and you know, while I'm in there thinking about a third harmony, I'm also thinking, "What if this happened?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds really fun. It sounds very organic, uh, you know, really dealing with kind of what's in front of you and and finding a way to to now use these new materials that have come to you.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah.
0: So uh, one thing I want to talk about, and I have to I have to call the album up on my phone to do this because. Uh,
1: Oh, the titles, on, it man. It with me. Yeah, the song titles. <laughs> they're terrible. <laughs> no, they're not. They're, they're awesome.
0: Uh, yeah, the another... I was recently, when I was talking to... Uh, oh, thank you. That's so much faster. When I was talking to Darius Jones and Matthew Shipp, they're, uh, all the titles on their most recent, or their first collaborative record, are comic book, based on comic book oh, characters. Oh, awesome.
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh, which I recognize, because I'm also... A geek, and uh, or I guess that would make me a nerd actually. Uh, but these these titles are just are just awesome, and so we need we need to talk about where they where they come. Sure,
1: from. yeah. Like, well, each one has a story. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Story, story <laughs> me, hit me. Um, well, there's a loosely based uh, sci-fi theme in general. Sure, and I think. You know, I think tune titles in general are sort of arbitrary if it's instrumental music. Like, if it's vocal music, you know, you get a lyric in there. Something is more concrete. But, um, you know, so my goal in general is to make it funny. (laughs) (laughs) And to have it, if need be, slightly evoke the vibe of the tune. (laughs) Um, So a couple of the things. I was reading the Dune... uh, Books by Frank Herbert, and a couple of the tunes uh, came from that. So, *Warm Emperor* is from that, um, and that's like the third one in the series, which I think was my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> or no, that sorry, that that's the fourth one in the series, but the third and the fourth are are awesome. <laughs> And uh, glowing orbs too they have those glow globes in the right. caves and uh, I was picturing like floating orbs of light because that's like maybe one of the one of the two ballads on the record and so instead of glowing globes which sounds kind of stupid <laughs> I chose <laughs> glowing orbs uh, let's see sundial lotus is itself an anagram of ludus tonalis which, which is a piece contained within it right? which yeah. is the, yeah which is the hindemith piece uh that starts off the the first like minute of the seven minute tune is uh is his fugue which was originally written for piano and um what else the the only other one i guess that really has a story is the sky is an eye and that's that was a line from a david foster wallace story who's hands down my favorite author <laughs> you know i don't have to like think about top five. Oh, he's in the top five he's he's the one so um and what it was is i think it was called um something like the eye in the sky for a while and which i didn't like and then um you know so i was already thinking about changing it <laughs> And then uh, you know, just reading through the story, there it was. It was like after a paragraph break and before a paragraph break, so it was like s- literally sticking out from the page. It's like okay, <laughs> that's what that's called now. Um, and the the thing about that too, there's a lot of a lot of this stuff comes from books, I guess. The the name Salo is from a character in a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Mm-hmm. Also, sci-fi is from The Sirens of Titan. And so he's
0: that's one of my favorite. Of those,
1: oh, yeah, those, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that's my favorite, definitely. Um, so he's, uh, for those that don't know, um, like an alien robot, a robot from an alien race who's marooned on a moon of Saturn called Titan, and uh, watching all of the events of mankind unfold over millennia. So he is the eye in the sky. And I thought that song kind of, like, characterized what I wanted to do with the band when I was starting the band. So it was like, okay, Say i Eye in the Sky. And then it was like, oh, the sky is an eye. So, cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And then, uh, just because I just like to say it out loud, Metamorphistopheles, <laughs> which is both a great <laughs> great name and also somewhat indicative, I think, of what happens in the tune, which kind of skews wildly from, from yeah. place to place.
1: Yeah, it's it's got the uh, the... John Zorn, Naked City, sort of like uh, a channel-flipping aesthetic, and um, that's the metamorphosis part, and then the uh, Mephistopheles part, he's, you know, a devilish character from the Faust novels and stuff, so...
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. We mentioned almost everybody in the band. I think the only people we left out uh, are Ed Rosenberg, who also plays saxophone, and Alex Wyatt, who plays drums, and I think we mentioned everyone else's name in the... In the story of the development of the band
2: Sure
0: Um, As you have played this music Live after documenting it Does it continue to evolve Or does it remain in a fixed position And now you've moved on to other music Or some combination of those
1: Um, Well like I Yeah like I set out to do uh, Recording that I really was able to start Writing other stuff So now at this point there's like a whole other Album of material that's ready to be recorded Hopefully this fall uh, two thousand eleven the process has changed definitely I've um I've kind of written the new things almost in opposition to how the old things sound okay whereas um, I feel like some of the tunes are very sectional you know there will be a section that happens and then a, a sharp line and then a new section which is fun and I you know I still like listening to them but uh, I tried to blur the edges of of, um, the tunes here and have development, so maybe things are hanging over whatever sections are there. Um, and, uh, the new batch of tunes is even more tailored to the musicians playing the songs, without a doubt, you know, thinking about, like, Andrew Smiley's sound, or, or the way Ed solos, or, um, whatever it is. So, um, yeah and you know the other thing i used to write at the computer a lot and i've tried to write from the piano more or from the guitar or from the bass Uh, and so you know maybe maybe andrew's guitar part will be something that i came up with while um, jamming (laughs) to a a live uh, recording of, of one of our gigs or you know something like that or or sitting there and, like, focusing on the song and, and thinking about, well, what would, what would Ed write here? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, what would his, uh, like, if this was one of his tunes, what would a, a awesome saxophone line be out of the blue, you know? And then, and then uh, so that, yeah, you know, I, I want to create parts that are fun for them to play. And then, you know, things that I like to hear again and again.
0: Composition sounds like a very intentional process for you, not just the act of composing itself, but the the kind of theoretical uh, overlay, like, th- now I'm going to work on this kind of music.
1: Yeah. I Yeah, well, I, it's it's very goal-oriented at this point because I can get the tune... Like I said, the process has a lot to do with revision and playing a gig and listening back. And so i can listen to it and think about what what didn't work and not just because of a performance thing but just in a perfect world what would happen here and you're creating that world and like right now i have a, a mental agenda of things to change <laughs> as i'm getting to ready to get this next album's worth of tunes like totally 100 percent where i want them to be you know and i i know it's okay there's this one transition that needs work and so I'm going to give myself some time and not try and just do it overnight but like really think about it for a couple weeks um, you know not necessarily sitting down at the piano every day and playing it but just knowing that that's on the list of what what I'm going to do next.
0: And why the change in the uh, the method of composition from doing it at the computer to doing it on an instrument?
1: Um well, you know, I've, um, I've, my facility as a guitarist has gotten a lot better over the last couple of years, and so I feel like I'm able to like think more lucidly as a player and, and an improviser on that instrument. And my piano chops are not good, but I <laughs> always have the goal of becoming a better pianist. Um, you know, working on like a piece at a time, and so it's just it's just a way to have the connection between your mind and your fingers be more organic and and then finally but actually this is probably the biggest one now that i'm thinking about it it's just the midi sounds suck man right. <laughs> and like you know the biggest symptom of this is my my girlfriend lily if i'm if i'm working on sibelius and and playing something for her you, you know, she loves Salo, <laughs> but she hates the MIDI sounds. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a good indicator. If, if, like, this is influencing, like, my ultimate choices and what happens with the group, i got to steer clear of, of like, w- what that is, you know. So That's great. So, yeah, lately it's been writing it at the piano, getting it into Sibelius so that they have parts to read, but then listening back to a gig as opposed to listening back to the MIDI
0: and uh, just for folks who don't know I will say that uh, MIDI, in other words the the computer generated instrument sounds uh, that are coming out of the computer based compositional software are what we're referring to
1: right, I'm sorry, which is Sibelius
0: So, for folks who might be being introduced to you uh, by way of this interview, can you talk a little bit about where you're from and uh, kind of your introduction to the to the music?
1: Definitely, yeah. I'm. Um, I grew up in Rochester, New York, um, in a suburb of Rochester called Pittsford, and um, and then stayed uh, in the area to attend the Eastman School of Music. So, my first 22 years of existence were all Rochester-based, and um, you know, for a small city, it has a great music scene, and the schools there—you know—wonderful teachers and a vibrant music community. I think, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I was—you know—that uh, that that, that uh, growing up there has has been central to my tastes, and um, I my family is a musical family. Um, no, no one's a professional musician, but my mom plays violin and piano. My brother plays guitar, my sister plays piano. Um, and, uh, you know, she was taking me to Kilbourne Hall to hear, like, just some kind of random... You know, they have free concerts there every night, practically. If it's like a grad student recital or whatever, it's awesome. You know, it's just at such a high level. And uh, so that, that had a, a big deal... Uh, You know, that's been a big, uh, I don't know what the word is. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of influence or
0: impact on how you exactly. Obviously, you've only lived the life you've lived, but to whatever degree you can assess this, can you talk about the the impact of going through an academic institution, studying the music that way?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know if my, um, experience was that unique, um, because the more I talk to friends Who are doing what I'm doing The more I hear the same things <laughs> And so But it, you know It doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be said uh, And I I uh, grew, grew up listening to Lots of rock and roll And one of my electric bass teachers Ralph Ortiz You might have heard of Who passed away a few years ago He's awesome He um you know, he would put stuff in front of me when I'm like 13 years old and that informed my first taste like Beatles, Led Zeppelin, whatever Um, and then I had another great teacher, Fred Stone who was directing me more towards the upright bass and then he was showing me Bill Evans' trio with Scott LaFaro and that further influenced my tastes and then when you get to college it's just like everything blows up you're... A s- small fish in a big pond Right <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it kind of it, it rocks your world I mean a lot of people I know who I went to school with Who are great awesome musicians They don't play anymore Because they just totally got burnt out um, It's like a love hate thing When you start putting so much of yourself into something You know you, It takes a lot out of you And so the couple of years, I think, after I graduated, I, my, I wasn't necessarily having fun <laughs> playing music, which is ridiculous, because, you know, before I went to school, I, I thought it was just the most fun thing in the world. Um, but then, uh, you know, over time it comes back and you're, and you're doing it for the right reasons. You're feeling, like, the joy and the passion instead of just, like, well... Oh, I, I love music, so this is what I'm doing <laughs> without actually feeling that love, you know. So
0: Was that a transition you had to to consciously manage in some way to get the, the joy back into it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you I you could see it in other people and and maybe that informed the the path mm-hmm. a little bit, but you know living with it and talking about it and and hearing things that inspired you again and being able to play things that weren't jazz for a while the the jazz thing is a big deal too because you know people it's it's not easy and bebop is a crazy language and you expect i i think people say you know uh jazz is the teacher, funk is the teacher <laughs> or funk is the preacher uh, and all these things oh if you play jazz you can play anything and that's true to a certain extent maybe but um, you know it's a, it's a virtuosic uh, uh, style and there's so many minutiae and so many huge figures uh, if you're looking back that can play on these changing harmonies where every four eighth notes the harmony is changing and it's like you know it's hard to find a voice within that context and so i think you know coming to the city and playing other things playing rock and roll playing you know (laughs) some of my bands are you know japanese music or or um bluegrass or whatever you know you can Sort of find a voice through that, and then when you come back to jazz, you maybe have a little bit more to say, or you realize, well, I don't actually have anything to say <laughs> on this particular <laughs> tune, and you know, I think that's okay. That's sort of figuring out maybe, you, you know, I felt for years going to a great school like Eastman, that if I couldn't play every single kind of music at the top level, then I wasn't like a worthwhile person, <laughs> you know, not necessarily just musician, but you, you're valuing, your, your, your self value is based on your, your musical idea of yourself. And so, so really being able to step away from that and take a break from the bebop and then say, okay, I love this i'm gonna get back into the bebop or whatever you know right so that yeah that was part of the journey and you know i think i think um like i said I'll, a lot of people i've talked to have, have had the same experience they're like oh well i just want to play original music or you know i hate jazz now i, I used to love jazz now i hate jazz <laughs> it's like it's not the jazz man it's, right. it's, it's you <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's really interesting I don't think that's ever come up on the show before Um, yeah I was thinking uh, as I was listening to you say that that I think if I were to do 10,000 of these shows there would never emerge from them a consensus on what the what the path through this music is Mm -hmm. because there I don't think there is one right yeah and I used to think that there was one (laughs) I used to kind of uh, at first I believed the you have to learn the tradition to transcend it mm. and then I had like a knee-jerk reaction in the other direction thinking oh, that's crazy what, You, you know, a gazillion people around the world play improvised music mm. at a high level who didn't come up through the blues or mm-hmm. you know any of that stuff mm-hmm. and then I talked to some musicians who I really respect and they say those kinds of things you have to learn that and I thought oh yeah I'm kind of swayed back so I find myself bouncing around like a ping pong ball on this concept of what what is the path to make music, and what makes an expression valid? Mm. And I, I certainly haven't arrived at anything other than to say I think the one thing I know, or feel like I know, is that it is not it is not knowable, and it is not <laughs> it's not reducible to a set of steps no. that you take to arrive at some destination as a musician.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right, and yeah, I'm sure it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah.
0: Do you feel in any way compelled now or or responsible to deal with i guess what we would refer to as the tradition where music is concerned
1: um I feel compelled to just out of my own desire you know sure. and um like i uh You know, it takes a lot of time and energy to be the leader of a project. (laughs) And so Salo has definitely been at the center of my focus for some time now. But now that we've got this big repertoire together and it's easier to book shows because, you know, we've got some good reviews, (laughs) I feel like I have the time to explore some other ideas. And and so I'm looking forward to playing some... uh, basically jazzier music you know some swing and some upright bass uh some swing and stuff so you know look for that in the coming <laughs> mon- months um but uh yeah i you know it's it's always it's always um you can always get deeper into anything you do and there's there's no bottom
2: <laughs> yeah
1: there's no bottom to playing you know 60s style jazz at a high level or what's what's now like i don't know the 2010 style jazz at a high level you know there's there's so much there and so you know i'm just i'm just glad i'm in new york doing it
0: Decided to give your band a band name as opposed to like the Bengalina Group or whatever. Uh, was that a conscious a decision you had to really kind of uh, I, I guess really yeah. think about? Given that most people use those as promotional.
1: Oh, totally. To yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I, I kind of I thought about that. I was like, am I am I doing a disservice to myself by not like putting myself at the foreground or forefront? But. Um, you know, it, it is a band, and I want it to be a band. And it's it didn't start out as a collective, but I'm always open to it moving towards a collective. And uh, at at the point now that that means uh, some of the other guys are writing for the group, which is really exciting. Um, and uh, you know, when it when it comes time to like make little decisions or to get input from people, um, you. You know some of these people personally. They will not hesitate to express their opinion, <laughs> uh, which is which is what I love about them. So, um, yeah, them. Uh, it, yeah, it's a band, and I mean, um, any cred I get as the quote unquote leader of it is is great. But I don't need to be like looking for that actively. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like
0: a band once you've once you've formed it and it has a personality, it seems like the band almost becomes a musical instrument where you can Mm. say to other people here, see what you can do with it. Oh, totally.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I'm, uh, Ed Ed Rosenberg wrote a tune recently for the group that I love, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's different from something he would have written for Jersey Band, you know? Sure. Which is probably what he would say is his main project, you know, and then, um, Alex Hamlin also in Jersey Band, uh, red and josh and the respect Sextet. so you know everybody has their things that they're doing but they're also doing this and uh you know it'll it'll continue to grow and uh they can they can definitely be a part of that
0: <laughs> are there uh, other projects you're involved with besides salo that you'd like to mention
1: um sure yeah um well uh the smooth maria is a is a sort of like indie rock group and that that is I mean that's almost like the eighth member of Salo <laughs> 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 because um, the the quote unquote leader of that group, Matt Canales, is is a dear friend and also lives in Washington Heights, so I see him all the time. And getting to see his process with writing and hearing uh, the songs that we play, you know, uh, it's it's had a huge impact on the stuff I write and the you know the the moods that I go for, and uh, so that's that's a great group. Uh, Kyle Sand on guitar, Connor Meehan on drums, um, and you know play every week. So that's thesmoothmaria.com. Sometimes it's Maria, sometimes it's Maria. <laughs> we we, uh, but yeah, thesmoothmaria.com either one. Um, and uh, yeah, Nook is is uh, a quintet, kind of in the vein of salo more more aligned with that, with uh, being non-focal, <laughs> um, uh, with longer form compositions and some improvisation, but you know, carefully placed improvisation. Sure. Uh, and that's that's a great group. I um, we're hoping to record a CD in the coming months with. Uh, J.P. Schlegel-Milch on keyboards, James Windsor Wells on drums, Kenny Warren on trumpet, and Jeremy Viner on saxophones. So, yeah, those, those are the big figures in my life right now. Cool. Yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned uh, things like the song titles, the name of the band, uh, come from literature. Do you, do you take a lot of inspiration from the things you read? It sounds like the answer to that is yes.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a big reader, I guess. I'll. Um, uh, it's 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 such a different tradition that it's hard to tell how much it influences the writing. Um, and I could definitely think about that more. Uh.
0: <laughs> Do you find, for example, uh, like uh, take take the Dune novels, you know, which have a a very they live they live in their own universe mm-hmm. and they exist in a very detailed world, mm-hmm. and I could imagine would conjure up in a person inclined to composition would conjure up musical ideas just as a result of kind of placing yourself mentally in that world for a while in a different way that, than reading Vonnegut or reading David Foster Wallace or whoever it might be place you in a different musical world.
1: that's that's a good point yeah and, and I'm I would say if it has an influence it's mostly what I'm drawn to and like you said it's like a it's a very detailed world (laughs) and and so you know i i get absorbed into the minutia of that or the minutia of music and details you know and so maybe maybe it has less to do with being influenced by than you know my tastes draw me here and they draw me there and there's definitely parallels
0: sure You mentioned that you've got uh, the next album's worth of uh, <laughs> of music just about ready to go. Um, as you kind of look ahead for Salo, do you can you kind of I guess look both back and forward? Can you track kind of an evolution in the band uh, in terms of the way it it operates as a unit or the kind of music it produces?
1: There, there were, I guess, maybe just moments where I felt like we arrived and then other moments where it's like oh we've arrived in another place mm. but it's it's uh it's hard to direct that you know you just you just sort of see what happens and see where it takes you <laughs> um i i can say i'm excited about where it's going and i'm i'm looking forward to where it's going but uh but i i don't know exactly where that'll be or how how it'll happen just that uh i mean uh you you know it's it's like the music exists in your mind and you basically want to get it out of the, your mind and into someone else's mind and so <laughs> in order to do that you got to book a gig <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, if it's just like ether stuff invisible ether stuff until until you do that so you know I'm just I'm just always gonna be. Always going to be writing for it, and always going to be working on it because there's all the stuff in my head I have to get out.
0: <laughs> but it sounds like you, you're you're kind of straddling this line between uh, the vision that you have for it and a willingness to let things evolve without you directing every moment.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I man, I love your questions. <laughs> yeah, I think um, part of that is you know, it's that's true in a. Micro sense and a macro sense um, Where like in the tunes You know I want spontaneous things To be able to happen So maybe like a solo section Will be over a Predetermined set of time Or maybe it'll be open Like with a groove And so the harmony can change And other things can change And um, and yeah I mean as, as detailed as the compositions are I always want to have that sense of freedom And I never want two performances to be the same. And I, I guess that's, you know, that's true for where the band is headed too, you know? I'm, I'm enjoying it, but not necessarily going to be like a micromanager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: you have already partially answered the question that I've now started asking at the end of every interview, uh, which is can you recommend some things either that you've read or seen or heard not necessarily directly connected to your or specifically not directly connected to your work, um, that you just like to share with other people.
1: Um sure. I uh I love David Lynch and <laughs> his films, particularly Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, Inland Empire and and yeah, David Foster Wallace, definitely a favorite. Favorite author In his book Infinite Jest And his short stories The Girl with the Curious Hair And his nonfiction. Um Just his writing style And and his World view Um Is Is really refreshing to me It seems He's so Honest And his moral compass Is so solid And he's just He has An Uh Empathy And compassion That like comes through Everything he says That I think is really rare Um
0: yeah, Josh pushed me to, to read him. I had never read him, and Josh kept saying, you really have to yeah. you have to change that. And then uh, he pointed me to an archive. It's Josh Retner, who's in Salo that we're talking about, uh, pointed me to an audio archive of his talks, yeah. which, since I spend a lot of time on the bus going back and forth between the various places I have to be, yeah. I often listen to him as I'm traveling, and it, he really is an incredibly impressive yeah. intellect.
1: I yeah, I mean, what a brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's so sad that he isn't with us anymore. But yeah, he just yeah, maybe he was feeling things too deeply. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um but it you know if 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 you're someone who also feels things deeply, it's a relief to see that, you know, and uh y- you know, it makes you feel less alone in the world, you know. to...
0: My guest is Ben Galina, and uh, his main project is a band called Salo, and I highly recommend uh, that you check them out and uh, the record Sundial Lotus. It's been uh, such a pleasure, man, to talk to you after all these years that I've known you, and uh, it's great to finally have you on the show. Thanks for doing it.
1: Thank you so much, yeah. I'm I'm so honored to be here and uh, well that'll wear off
0: trust me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, well, got to get those additional members. <laughs> yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly right for the jazz session. And
0: again, I just as we're closing this interview, I cannot stress highly enough that from here on out, these interviews have to be accompanied by homemade vegan snacks, so I, <laughs> this has started a trend. Well, it doesn't start a trend until the second person does it, I guess. Yeah. It's either started a one really lovely one-time experience or what I hope will be a trend. But again, Ben, thanks, man. It's really yeah, it's great to know you and great to hear your music. Thanks. Thank you, Jason. That's music from Ben Galena and his band Salo, and their album Sundial Lotus on Innova Records. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Please do become a member, and I realize as I'm recording the uh, end of the show here that at the beginning I forgot to thank the Respect Sextet for the theme music, and they're online at RespectSextet.com, and they've got a ton of records, and you should buy them all. And thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and he is online at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Please do go to the slash join and become a member, and then get out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.